I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 11 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, I have a very special guest, Brett Connors, who is the son of Jimmy Connors. Yes, that Jimmy Connors. And Brett is here because he and I connected on social media with something not related to tennis at all, uh, which you'll hear about (laughs) during our conversation. But it, it was such a pleasure to get to chat with him and hear about his experience growing up as the child of a world champion in our sport. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We kind of go all over the map, but uh, it was a fun one to record. Before I bring Brett on, though, I want to just do a quick reminder that if you aren't already, we'd love to have you join Parenting Aces as a premium member. You can do that by going to parentingaces.com and click on the Join Now button in the top right. Also, if you are interested in a one-on-one consult with me, if you have questions, or concerns about your child's junior tennis journey, college recruiting, I am here for that. All you have to do is go to the shop tab on parentingaces.com and you can purchase either an individual consultation or a package. Or if you want to become an annual member of Parenting Aces, that includes two one-hour consultations. So lots of options for you. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Brett Connors. Hey, Brett, it's so good to have you on the podcast. I The whole story of how we connected, we'll get into in a minute, but welcome to Parenting Aces, and thanks for taking time to do this. Looking forward to it. I know we've uh, been talking about it for a little while and uh, excited to do it, talk some tennis and uh, some other things. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned in the intro, you have a famous dad, and that's got to be a challenge growing up in a family where everybody knows who you are just by virtue of, oh, he's so-and-so's kid or whatever. You had to find your lane in life and your lane took you in a kind of circuitous route, wound you up back in tennis, which is so cool. So I'd love for you to share kind of your story of how you kind of made your way in during childhood dealing with having a dad that everybody knew who he was and then how tennis kind of has played a role in your life since then. Yeah. Uh, you know, famous pops, uh, growing up tennis player, but to me, it was just a uh, dad always, uh, it was always everyone else who reminded me, but yeah. Um, the relationship with tennis when I was a kid, I, I loved it. I played it a lot growing up until I was about, you know, 10, 11, I played a lot. Um, in tournaments and everything. Um, and then a little bit into, into high school. And then I fell in love with golf along the way and tried to play one year of both tennis and golf. And uh, that was a little much. Ended up choosing golf because, um, first of all, I was better at it. And uh, also had a little bit, made it more my thing instead of mm-hmm. following in his footsteps. Because I think uh, when I was young, I had a little bit of a problem with all all of that, all of the talking and, and uh, you know, are you going to play tennis? Are you just like him? You look just like him. And as a kid, I, I didn't understand it. I felt like it was taking my identity away in some mm-hmm. sort of way. Like, you know, I want to be me. I don't want to be always this reflection or this comparison to this other person. You know, so you're going to get compared to your dad because he's yeah. your dad. So. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I think that made me steer away from it a little bit for, for some time. Uh, and, and when I got into my later teens and college a little bit, um, when I went to, when I went to school, I played a, a year of college at Arizona, a year of golf at Arizona, um, and then broke my wrist. So I got a little bit away from golf and then, uh, did some, uh, some traveling and then finished up, finished up school. And then later on, I, I took a job uh, here. Didn't think it would be a long-term job. I took a PA job, production assistant uh, with Tennis Channel. Um, had never worked in TV. Was just a was a communication major in college, and uh, you know, all we knew knew the tennis side. Knew that I could get by with my tennis knowledge, but needed help learning uh, the TV and the entertainment side. Mm-hmm. So you know, was a PA for a few years, uh, working on an instructional show called Tennis Channel. Then left for for three or four years and went and worked with ESPN on uh, their Grand Slam coverage and a lot of their summer series, uh, some some of their smaller events, um, which was was really good. Learned a lot of stuff there working with such a big uh, big company and such a big you know uh, coverage every year with the slams. And then uh, eventually moved back to California, LA, and um, just started kind of, I'm not full-time, but I work a lot with Tennis Channel now. I do, uh, I've been a tape producer, which is the person who's kind of uh, helps, you know, make the highlights and, and works with an editor. And we're kind of like a team. We work together to, to produce all the video elements that you see during a broadcast or in, you know, the post-game show or during the live coverage. Um, and then the last year or so, I've started to do a little bit of actual line producing where uh, we there's a like a, a, a light version of coverage that we do at Tennis Channel, like on the overnights where we don't have a full crew. It's just like four or five people because uh, that's when it gets uh, spicy. <laughs> just <that. But>, um <laughs> Uh, that's when the, uh, that's when they let me produce. So I'm, I'm kind of cutting my, my teeth on that, getting my reps right now and, and really enjoying that part of it. And, uh, you know, learning a lot more about it. And you're also a photographer. I've seen your pictures on Instagram. You do amazing photography, but Thank you. some tennis photography, but also nature photography, other things like that. Has that always been a passion of yours? Yeah, I've, I think I've always, um, like taking pictures. I had a Polaroid as a kid and I have tons of old Polaroid pictures of just family and just traveling around. Um, and then it, it was about 13, 14 years ago, I, I bought my first DSLR camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a dog uh, that had gotten like sick at the time. And I was like, well, I don't have any pictures of, of my dog Bentley. So I, so I went and I got this camera and just started taking pictures and taking it with me. And I, I love taking pictures and started just taking a camera on tour or wherever I was going um, and just kind of fell in love with it. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I have a drone. I love taking my drone uh, uh, wherever I go. If I take some, some trips, I was just down in Indian Wells doing some uh, drone photography work with uh, for Tennis Channel on a golf show they have coming up uh, in a couple months. So that was cool. Got to meet uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the young 18-year-old nice. player, which was cool. Um, Rude was out there, the young Rudester. Uh, let's see, Danielle Hanchikova was there, um, Darren Cahill, a lot of Busta, Carreno Busta. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of a lot of good players, and I, I actually got paid to just chase them around with the drone for a few days. So that wasn't too bad. Yeah, not a shabby not not a shabby gig at all. <laughs> so I want to get back to kind of this whole notion of establishing identity because one of the things we talk about at parenting aces a lot is you know your kid is more than a tennis player they are more than how they perform on a court 
They are more than their wins and losses. And finding that identity separate from the sport that they're excelling in is really important because one day the tennis is over and you still have a life ahead of you and you have to be a person and be a productive member of society and hopefully find happiness and joy in whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so for you, you know, you kind of have lived that from both sides. You, you know, in your childhood, your dad's career came to an end. And so you were, I'm sure whether consciously or unconsciously observing his transition from being a professional athlete to being a human being out in the world and finding what else drove his passions and made him happy. And at the same time, finding your place as a golfer and then dealing with injury and having to find your identity outside of golf. So what do you remember some of the things that kind of helped you shape who you became as you continue to grow up and move into adulthood? Uh, Yeah, I definitely think uh, a lot of stuff, you know, stands out. I think one of the main things that as I've gotten older has been so crazy is the times where my dad was old in tennis where he like went on his run and in in 91 or, you know, he played whatever, you know, until he was in his um, early forties and now I'm 42 and I'm like, I'm not old. You know what I mean? You know, like them thinking that he was old three years ago. I wasn't old three years ago. I'm not old now. You know, so the the difference in an athlete's time versus a non-athlete's time is so different. You know, like I'm almost just starting to, you know, kind of get into my prime as of early 40s. You know, with uh, with maybe producing and you know doing the podcast and other things. Uh, You know, people. Um, I was just think the one, the weird part is when I go to him now, you know, is like, I'm asking him questions at 42 when he was almost starting to like wind down, you know, right. he like starts winding down where I'm almost like, okay, I want to do this. I want to get this going. Let's get this, <laughs> you know? And so it's so different, uh, the way he lived it versus the way, you know, I'm living it, but you know, just dealing with all of that. I, I don't know. I, I remember traveling with him. I used to love traveling with him. Um, on summers I would, you know, go and be gone for three months from, from my, from my friends, you know, and then go be in this city and that city and on the senior tour or whatever he was doing, uh, the team tennis, you know, he played like four years in a row of team tennis that I, that I got to go with him and brought the golf clubs everywhere. Um, but yeah, you know, just, it was interesting now that I'm older, I understand it, but at the time I'm 14 or 15 or whatever. And then you don't, you know, in my mind, my dad's played tennis for 30 years be done you know he's he's been traveling and on the road and and kind of taken away from us for a lot of a lot of time to do to do his job so then you're thinking like he deserves the time off but now you look back and you're like that must have been difficult to be this age and everyone around you saying you're done you know you should quit you should retire all that stuff mm-hmm. so as i get older i like every year where there's a sort of checkpoint with him or like when i'm 39 at, at, at the 91 open you know, I always right. thought a lot about that going like, you know, man, I haven't, he was, that was like the cherry on top of his career. And I haven't accomplished that much yet. Am I like behind, you know, should I feel bad? Should I feel good? Like, you know, so it's like, it shouldn't be using him as a comparison because like, I feel like athletes live uh, at a different rate of time than, than the rest of us. Absolutely. But what I find so interesting, Brett, is now you and your dad are doing a podcast together and you're talking about tennis, of course, because how could you not? But but you're also talking about NFTs, which is how 
you and I kind of connected and I, my mind just continues to get blown by how much tennis permeates everything I do in, in my life. And, and as I was telling you offline, you know, even for my son, who's no longer playing tennis, the tennis keeps infiltrating one way or another. And, and so can you talk a little bit about how your podcast came to be? What made you and your dad decide to kind of take this journey together and what you're looking to accomplish through the podcast. Yeah, um, we started it a little over two years ago. Um, kind of growing up, I would always hear my dad talk with some of his buddies like uh, Eddie Dibbs, you know, and, and, and David Schneider and some of, his, some of his tennis friends. And they'd always be like, rah, 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 you know, doing their rants and talking about the sports or the game or the gambling or whatever they're into. And I'd hear him say, you know, we, we need our own radio show. And then so as I got older, I always kept that in my mind, thinking that would be kind of a cool thing to do with him, you know, mm -hmm. and then go and talk to his buddies, go to talk to Dibs and these his friends that he grew up with and get all the good stories and, and all of that stuff. So it was two years, a little two years ago, we were just sitting around. I downloaded uh, just a free app on my mm -hmm. phone and I was like, hey, let's let's just preview the Australian open finals. You know, it's coming up to, in, two, in tomorrow or whatever it was. And let's talk for 15 minutes about it. And that was our first episode. And then we started kind of doing a couple, we did like two or three more the next month. And then we decided to try and get a guest. And we were lucky enough. Our first guest was Mike Tyson of all people, which was, which was kind of crazy. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. We had, he was, he's, his daughter plays tennis. So we well, were so I was enough. getting ready to say, so he's yeah. a tennis dad too. Yeah. He loves the tennis. So he was down in Indian Wells and it was the day before they closed down everything with COVID. Uh, okay. So we had a little technical snafu there. Sorry about that, Brett, but um, you were talking about having Mike Tyson on as your first podcast guest. Right. Yeah. We were lucky enough to get Mike Tyson on uh, right, right as everything got shut down for the, the pandemic. So uh, my favorite guest, I think uh, we've had a lot of great guests. I love them all. But so far, he was so unique and interesting and um, different than I think what most people expect out of him. Uh, he's actually a really smart dude and uh, is kind of deep and has a lot of interesting things to say. So that kind of kicked, kicked us off in getting guests. And then the fact that COVID happened, we didn't have much to do. So all of a sudden, <laughs> everything was locked down. I couldn't actually go see him because of the, you know, the lockdown. So we kind of used it as an excuse to talk and, you know, hang out for 45 minutes and, and you know, chat, whatever what was going on and, and keep up to date. And, uh, and no, now those episodes are kind of cool because they're like little time capsules during yeah. the COVID. So you can kind of go back and see what was happening. Um, and we just kept doing them. We started, you know, just getting friends of, uh, you know, Jimmy's friends, our friends that, that we've known for years as guests. We've, uh, had Jeannie Buss on uh, the Lakers, you know, president. We've had. Uh, okay, wait. Okay, wait. <laughs> this is so weird. Jeannie and my husband went to Pally High together and were classmates. <laughs> really? And she hosted their five year high school reunion at Pick Fair. Yeah. So I've been awesome. there. I've met her. Like, really? when I first moved to LA a million years ago. Yeah. 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 She's really cool. She's. Uh, my she worlds was... <laughs> keep colliding. <laughs> Well, her first gig uh, when she started working for her dad out of college was running the strings, was the, the team tennis team at the, at oh, the old funny. Great Western Forum. And then she put on these great exhibitions with Borg and Mac and my pops and like Agassi and Sampras later on at the Forum and the Venus and Williams and Serena. 
when they were like 14, when they were like 12 wow. or something, like they were like the first exhibition ever Jeannie put on uh, with them. So, you know, we had her on and then randomly my dad runs into Gary player in Santa Barbara at a golf course. And he's like, Hey, you want to come on? He's like, sure. So then like the next day, Gary player is in our dining room, you know, talking to us about his career for two hours. And yeah, that was great. We've had Andy Roddick. We've had, um, you know, Mike Lupica. We've had a lot, a lot of great people, but Pete Rose was awesome. And, uh, you said NFT. So we started, it just caught our eye because of the news. We had Darren Ravel on about a year ago, who's okay. the sports business uh, announcer, uh, you know, uh, covers everything from, you know, gambling to baseball, everything. Um, and he kind of told us about it. And stupidly, I didn't dive in. Like, I just was like, oh, we're covering it. Like, that, I know what I'm talking about now. And it was <laughs> like, you know, instead, I should have done what I did like six months later and like dive in because that was around the time Bored Ape, uh, like minted, mm -hmm. I think. And if I had dove in then, there'd at least be a chance maybe I would have, a chance maybe yeah. I would have grabbed one of those somewhere along the way, but um, ended up waiting a while. And then we, uh, in October, my girlfriend and I were like, look, this is, a thing like it's going to become a thing everyone that we think it's smart is starting to talk about it you know like gary v and and uh you know all these different people uh and so we're like let's just let's just bite the bullet and like try and learn it and so we dove in and you know we started researching we thought researching and we minted something right off the bat that was 0.3 ethereum at mint and wow. uh, and we thought just by minting like, this is how stupid we were. We're like, oh, we minted it. It says mint. We're trillionaires. Like, we're going to be, we've made it, you know? Like, all we do have to do is be a mint, you know? And so we minted, like, three of them, which is over in ETH. And yeah. it, it was called Fat Ape Club. It was, let's just say it's not, it didn't hold the mint price for long. Yeah. And we learned our lesson quick. Um, so we kind of went through all of the stuff. I've been rugged. I had that. Uh, I was... Uh, scammed. I clicked the DM in the in the Discord early, stupidly, and and, and lost a little chunk of money that way. Um, but the last two or three months, I feel like we've kind of righted the ship and okay. uh, started investing in projects that we really believe in and like, uh, whether it's for the art or for the you know community or for the utility. Um, and I feel like my wallet now is a little bit uh, uh, better, a little bit cleaner. Good, good. And one of the ones you invested in is my son's project, which is how you and I connected. So yep. this was like totally random and bizarre, but I think you had tweeted something about and tagged his project and I saw the tweet. And anyway, it's just like, again, as hard as you try to get away from tennis, tennis just keeps <laughs> interjecting itself into everything in my life and my son's life and your life. It's just a funny funny way that that life has of doing that to you <laughs> so. definitely definitely um yeah your son's project well it's even weirder the way I got into it because I didn't know about it and I, I'm in a project called psychedelics anonymous which is an, an Australian project which is a pretty good one I really yeah. uh, like it it's my profile pic on Twitter uh <laughs> and I just happened to see that the the owner of it, uh, Voltura. Voltura, yeah. Right, was in like a spaces. And I was like, well, what, what's this? Like, he's in it. Like, I like his, I like everything he's talking about. Let me see what this is about. So I jumped into it and it was your son's, it was the root troop. So I jumped in and like listened and they were talking and I was like, I don't know much, but I like what he's doing. And this is another Australian project. And I was like, I'm going to mint it. 
And so I minted, I minted three and one of them happened to be super rare. I got very, very lucky. It's the rarest NFT I have of my whole collection. I got the number fourth ranked root troop with the Ethereum tail. I'm uh, pretty psyched uh, to have it and uh-huh. um, not going to be selling anytime soon. Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. And for those of you listening who have no idea what we're talking about, I promise we'll get back to tennis. But but if you don't know what NFTs are and you don't know what Ethereum is and you don't know anything about minting and holding and utility and all of that stuff, um, my son will be a guest on the podcast in the coming weeks and he will explain it all to you. But but for now, just suffice it to say that Brett and I connected through this other weird like outlet that is now the way my son is making money. So um, just kind of very cool. And and then I have another bizarro like connection story that I shared with Brett offline, which is my mother-in-law, who is 93 years old, her neighbor was a teacher at Harvard Westlake School in Los Angeles when Brett's dad, Jimmy, was a student there. And Jimmy was missing a lot of class because he was traveling to tennis tournaments. And his teacher pulled him aside one day and said, why are you missing so much school for tennis? You're never going to make a living doing this. You're going to have to get a job. You better focus on your education so that you can go to college and get a job and support a family someday in the future. This is ridiculous. You know, you need to be in class. Well, lo and behold, that's Jimmy Connors. And yeah, I think he did okay with the tennis. Right. He got lucky. Uh, yeah. He moved out here uh, mid high school from, uh, from Belleville to, to work with Pancho Segura and, and go to school out here. And that, that's what he told the teacher is that he was uh, playing tennis. So about half the time he was probably playing tennis. <laughs> <laughs> the other half the time he might've been at the beach with, uh, with his buddy Spencer. Yeah. But uh, uh, that, that's a great story. I'm going to have to tell him that and, and see what he says, see if he remembers it. Yeah, I, it cracked me up. I, and I feel like ever since you and I have connected, all of these stories keep coming out of, that connect me to you some kind of a way. And it's just, it's been very interesting and kind of blown my mind a little bit. But um, but anyway, so your work at the Tennis Channel now, I want to get back to that because, you know, tennis is, I, I mean, I guess it's in your DNA. I don't know. How do you, you grow up the child of, you know, a world champion, somehow it's got to be part of who you are. And as much as you might fight it because, you know, you chose golf over tennis for a lot of reasons, it sounds like the tennis is still always there for you. And I think that's such an interesting storyline for parents to hear because, you know, I talk to parents all the time and and we talk a lot about burnout and what if my kid decides they don't want to play anymore and we've invested all this time and energy into the sport and I keep saying, but but even if they quit now, like they're already, they've got the skills, it's ingrained in them. This will always be a part of their life. And you are a living testament to that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I kind of always had a love-hate relationship with it. Um, I think like in reality, I love tennis, like the actual game itself. I love the game. I think I'm similar to my dad where he loves the actual game, the competition, the sport. It might be all the other stuff around tennis that that uh, might turn us off a little bit, but um, but yeah, you're right. I, I love the game. I love watching it, and uh, it's weird because with tennis, I don't really play that much. I grew up playing, you know, like you said, and and 
the discipline always has stuck with me that the one-on-one aspect of it, that, you know, you can't take off a day because it's only going to be you out there tomorrow. So it's only going to hurt you if you don't do it kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I got away from it because of all the other stuff around it. But then now when I watch it and I work it, it's so second nature, mm-hmm. um, different than golf. Like, whereas if I take time away from golf and then I go back to it, like I said, I might need to pick up some little things about oh, the equipment, this or this or whatever. But with tennis, I feel like I just know, like it's just embedded in me from being around it so mm-hmm. long, you know, and being lucky enough to grow up around so many people who knew so much about it. You know, and then like you, when you're, when I'm young, it's just my, my buddy's coworkers, you know, <laughs> they're just like, Hey, he's got to go play this thing. And these are the guys he's playing with. Yeah. And then you get older and you're like, that was Bjorn Borg. And that was, you know, Guillermo Vilas. And that was, you know, Jose Luis Clerk and John McEnroe and, and like, you know, all these great players that were just hanging out. And because I got to be like a fly on the wall, their guards were down more than they would be around other people. Sure. And, and, you know, just lucky enough to, to try and be a sponge and soak up as much of that as, as I could. Do you think being around all of those people through your childhood helped shape your work ethic and your, your ability to set goals and work toward goals and, you know, pace your, yourself that way? I, I think so. I think, uh, when I was, like younger, I, I struggled a little bit with that because I thought I felt like unless I attained such a high goal, it was a waste of time mm. because I think I was always comparing myself to my dad or, you know, even my mom, like, you know, she, she's um, not as well known as my dad, but she was a little bit, you know, model in the seventies and stuff. So like both sides, like people already knew who they were before I would meet them, you know, and that's a little that kind of is uh, disarming because usually you have like an air of like mystery about yourself when you meet someone else who's a stranger, you know, and then all of a sudden they, Hey, I have this magazine with your mom and I have this with your dad. And I know all these things about, you know, past relationships of them or whatever it is. And so it's a little weird, but um, now that now when I cover it, I mean, I think it helps me uh, a lot in, you know, just realizing like we work crazy hours, like to cover tennis because of the time difference. And at first that I struggled with that getting up at midnight or one or two in the morning and I would complain and bitch and moan to my girlfriend and like, you know, whatever it was, but then you realize it's like, Hey, look, you're lucky enough to be the one going into cover this sport. You know, like yeah. if you don't get there and with the six or seven other people who you're in the control room with, it doesn't get put on air, <laughs> you know? So you're kind of like the caretakers of the sport a little bit and Mm -hmm. so like once once I started looking at it like that way it's it it made it a lot easier to to get up at those those hard hours and uh, and do some of those kind of things do you think if you have children in the future they'll play tennis yeah if they want to I mean uh if they can play whatever they want I don't really I mean I'm not going to push them to play any certain thing I mean I give them a racket and see if they like it give them a golf club see if they like it but uh, I would just be happy if they found something they like and they, they let their dad play with them. Yeah, I love that answer. And it's funny because, you know, I, I've watched and read interviews with athletes, you know, multiple times. And and that's pretty much the answer, right? It's that, you know, yes, this sport is gave a lot to me. And certainly I would expose my children to it. And, you know, if they like it, great. If they don't, great. I mean, you know, just, I think finding your passion is, is one of those important things that 
professional athletes understand. And that's what they pass along to their child is that, that desire for their children to find their passion, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a sport. It can be anything, but I think the problem with, if you force something, like if my dad had forced it on me, man, the payoff is so far away to, with all the pressure and all the stuff that's put on the kid or the, you know, whoever it is mm-hmm. that like, yes, the payoff is amazing. If they make it at 19 or 20 and you're like, see, I told you so, you know, yeah. but the kid has had to eat like 13 years of maybe like too much pushing, too aggressive. Maybe she wanted to do this. Maybe she wanted more school life or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's a little dangerous when you push into one direction just because, you know, sure it can pay off in 15 years, you know, but there might be a lot of negative things that come along the way that maybe don't even make it worth doing. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, the number one thing that I tell parents is the goal for the parent in this process is to get to the end of the journey with a great relationship with your kid. Nothing else matters, but that right from the parent side. Yeah. So it seems that your dad has done an amazing job and, and pardon me, but I just, I don't know as much about your mom. So I'm focusing on your dad. So if your mom's listening to this, I know you had a big role in this too. Mama's yeah. play a huge role, but, um, and, and please forgive me that. But, um, okay. I, I think, you know, obviously your dad under, understood that throughout your childhood because your relationship with him is pretty solid so much so that you're producing a podcast together, which I think is amazing. Yeah. He puts up with me bothering him every week to, to record. So it, it must be going okay. But um, yeah, I think it was a good mix. Like my dad having to be on the road so much, you know, I was lucky enough that I got to go on the road with him for a good amount of his career. You know, the last like 10 years of his career, I got to kind of tag along and, and do some of that stuff. And then my mom was so good at creating the home life and making it cozy and, and, you know, get, getting us up for school and taking us and making our lunches and doing all the regular mom things that, you know, moms everywhere out there do. Um, so, you know, even though it was difficult in a lot of ways where you only have maybe one parent uh, at a time, um, you know, it, it made it good too, because I think that they were both so good at what they did as parents. That's awesome to hear. I was going to ask you if you had any resentment toward your dad for being away so much, but it sounds like your parents found a way to balance each other and provide the kids what they needed. I think when I was young, I I guess you could say I probably had like, you know, resentment uh, if you wanted to like classify it. But I think when you're young, you don't understand earning a living and like having to put food on the table and, and that it's like, you kind of get jaded with all the like, you know, tennis, tennis. And it's like, I have to go, what do you have to go do? Play. You don't have to go work tennis. You have to go play tennis, which is a lot, a lot, a lot nicer than having to go work something, you know? So I think in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, but it's still like anyone else whose dad or mom gets up and goes to work all day and, and they don't get to see their kids. till you know, maybe just dinner time and before they go to bed, if they're lucky. And so like, you know, in a lot of ways it's unique, but in a lot of ways it's very normal, I think. Did you have any inkling that your childhood was different from your friends? Um, I mean, I did, I think, uh, um, uh, and I did, I think I would only notice it when I would bump up against them in, uh, at school. 
So like things would happen in my life, like on the road or in, it was just my life. So I didn't understand that I should maybe not talk about it or I should talk about it in a different way. I would be so happy or proud to have done or met the person or the thing that I would want to share it with people I went to school with. And then you would realize like, oh, like you're the only one who gets that. Or like, you're very, one of the very few who gets to say this thing, you know? And so like, instead of a positive response, it would almost be like a smack in the face a little bit, you know, just because they're like, oh, you meant blank. Oh yeah, sure you did. You know what I mean? Almost like use it to mock you and, 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 you know, because in a way they're jealous, you know, or they feel like that you're bragging, which I understand now, as you get older, you, you see why, why it doesn't play well. So I think in that way, I knew that I was different. And then, you know, certain times you look around and you're like, Oh, I'm on a private airplane with Boris Becker flying to an exhibition in like Berlin or something, you know, you're like, I don't yeah. think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people, let alone kids are doing this sort of thing. Right. You know? So there were those moments where you're like, yeah, I understand how lucky and how rare this is. And then as I got older, I started realizing like, Oh, you realize like the coolest things you've done are probably behind you <laughs> as I got older and older, you know, because the access oh. to things goes away is like dad like you know unless I become super rich and successful to maintain this crazy lifestyle that my father was able to have and and give us Mm. you know like uh I realized you know a lot of those things are in my past (laughs) you know so that was a little weird that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't thought about and I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up Brett because it is an interesting thought that, you know, as a kid, you were exposed to all of these phenomenal experiences and people and travel and, and luxury. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're an adult and have to figure out, okay, who am I now without my dad's name behind me, my dad's money behind me or whatever. I mean, you've done okay for yourself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think, you know, having that drive to establish yourself independent of your dad, as we were talking about before, um, shines through with you. I mean, I think a lot of, of people might get sucked into that and just kind of curl up into the fetal position and say, my life will never be this good again, you know, and, and freak out about it. But you found a way to kind of move past that and use all of the experiences you've had and the connections you've made over the years to forge your own path and your own career, which I think is really commendable. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't uh, growing up and even now, I don't really like to say Jimmy Connor's son or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I know I do a podcast with him, but that's to me, like the reason we do that is for fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I'm not looking. I mean, if it makes money somewhere down the road, great. But like it, to me, it's like an excuse to hang out with my pops and like talk sports and gambling and you know, NFTs. Now we're getting into that, and so like you know, I didn't like it. I still don't really like it, but I understand it, and uh, I've always kind of shied more away from it. Where I would mm-hmm. see maybe other people I grew up around, like they would lean into it. And there was a time where I leaned into it when I was young, because I. I, you know, I would get sometimes get the good reaction. You're like, oh, this is the thing to do. And then you get older, you're like, no, that's not, that's not the thing to do. You know, it's like you're robbing yourself of your own identity when you do For that sure. a little bit. So, um, you know, as I got older, I understood it, but I always wanted to try and make my own, my own way or my name. And, you know, I try to have my own style as a person and, and what I'm into and what I like. And, 
you know, tennis happens to be one of those things because I grew up around it and, uh, you know, I know a lot about it, but it's not the only thing in my life. So if you were to give advice to the tennis parents out there, what's one thing you would tell them? One thing I would tell them, uh, I guess start young, but like start young as in like zero pressure, just introduce the sport to them, whether it's the ball, the smaller racket, whatever you want to do, introduce it as part of 10 other toys, you know, don't make it this one thing. Um, and then make it fun. Always keep it fun and don't ever, don't be a drill sergeant. You know what I mean? Like if you want to take your kid to a coach and then let them be more of the coach, that way there's that separation between family and coach, I think is, is important. Even though my dad had his mom as his coach, yeah, there were things in that where I'm sure it would have been better to have like a separation. You know, if you bring everything home from the courts with you, it's, you know, like working together with someone a little bit. So I would just say, make, keep it fun. Let them be the one who tells you they want to go play more. Um, always leave them wanting more. So like, don't let them play for three hours, let them play for, you know, 45 minutes and they want to play for three hours. That way they come back the next day. So that's all I say, make it fun and keep it in the kid's hand. Let them dictate it all. I love it. I love it. I love it. So if people want to find your podcast, how can, how can they listen to it? Yeah. Uh, we're on, on Twitter. You can find us at ADV Connors, uh, Instagram where advantage Connors spelled out. Um, Jimmy's Jimmy Connors on Twitter. I'm Brett underscore Connors. Uh, we just were signing with a new platform cloud 10, uh, which is part of the iHeartRadio, radio, iHeart podcast network. Um, they're in the midst of switching over to a new platform themselves, a new hosting platform. So once they get set up, we're going to move over. But still, for right now, our Gary V episode is up, which is our first of the year. And I'll be releasing our second episode later this evening. Oh, awesome. 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 Yeah. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So if you are having trouble locating, just go to Parenting Aces and click on the links in the show notes. Brett, it's been a pleasure meeting you. And uh, now that we're connected, I'm hoping that I'll start seeing you around. And now I know what you look like. And, you know, we can say hello live (laughs) in person. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking time. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me and uh, look forward to seeing you and uh, Rudy Roo. Rudy Roo. (laughs) 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 To my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. I promise you'll get the inside jokes once Morgan's my guest on the podcast. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.